Do you love early intervention, but feel like you need more mentorship and information to thrive in this setting? We're here to provide a safe, inclusive community where we learn from and uplift one another. It's our mission to prepare students and practitioners to be confident and competent working in early intervention. Hi, I'm Amira Johnson. I'm Danielle DiLorenzo. And I'm Sarah Putt. And together, we're the real OTs of early intervention. Today, we're going to have a little fun and share a few of our favorite stories that we've experienced as an occupational therapist working in early intervention. To be honest, sometimes our jobs can be really tough, but it's the progress and the positive things that happen that can really make our day, week, and even year. But before we get into that, let's have a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Mindfulness in Motion, an occupational therapy and educational consulting company. Two occupational therapists with the mindset to educate and empower other professionals, therapists, and OT students looking to enter the school-based world and provide a mindful approach to their practice. You can find us at www.themimproject.com and on Instagram at Mindfulness in Motion with periods to separate the words. We all know that it is so easy to get sucked into some of these mundane tasks that we have to do being a therapy practitioner, you know, the documentation, scheduling, billing, and all the fun things that we have to do outside of working with our clients, not to mention any changes in rules or regulations that might impact our practice and the ever lingering dark cloud of burnout that hovers over the healthcare profession. But today we're going to put all of that aside. And we're going to focus on the good. We're going to take a minute to share some of our favorite stories from working in the field of early intervention. And I know there are so many stories to choose from. Like, for instance, one of the times that I was working with a client and I had just started with them and the mom went on and on and on about all these things that her child was doing and not doing. And after I kind of took a minute to explain sensory and what was actually happening, the mom just stopped and looked at me. And all of a sudden she's like, so wait, I'm, I'm not crazy. I, I, you know, there was a reason for all of this. And it just, I could just see this like weight lifted off of the mom right in that moment. Or I remember this time that I walked in and the family was feeling completely overwhelmed in with everything, life, everything that was happening around them. And they basically just broke down in tears. And I spent my entire session just sitting and listening and talking and collaborating. And by the time that I left that session, the family was refreshed, they were rejuvenated, and they were ready to do whatever it was that they needed to do. Or the many times that we've been working with a client on a specific skill or milestone for weeks, months, and then all of a sudden they do it. And the joy that we see on the client's faces, we see on the family's faces, and quite honestly, (laughs) that we see on our faces too, because we're right there with them. There are so many stories. I don't even know (laughs) if I can even just pick one at this moment. So Danielle, I'm going to throw it to you. I'm going to have you kick it off here. What is one story that really stands out to you from your experience being an OT in early intervention? When I started working in New Jersey, when I transitioned moving back to my home state after years of providing early intervention in Pennsylvania, I was handed a caseload of 
so many children all at once. And I remember being like, wow, I have so many different varying needs. How am I going to meet everybody's needs? And this one family I was seeing not just as an occupational therapist, but I was also providing teacher hours as well. So I was actually in their home for 12 hours a week, which I was literally doing 12 hours of occupational therapy a week. It was one of the most beautiful opportunities I've ever had the chance to have. And it was just, it was glorious. Uh, He was 16 months old the family, there were many people living in the home that all had their unique roles in helping and supporting this child just grow and develop and just creating this safe, wonderful environment to explore his language and just really just figure out how to navigate being newly autistic because they had just been given a diagnosis and mom wasn't sure where to go. It was very heavy, very emotional. And similar, we sat and we just talked and we navigated. And one of the things that was really meaningful to her was he was like, I I just, I just want him to say hi. And I get that. I get that so much. And I have so many different perspectives on that now, raising my own autistic child. But back then, When I didn't even realize some of the techniques that I was doing was just like, you know, we're just going to keep modeling. We are just going to keep providing situations and opportunities to have him understand what saying hi and saying bye means. So we just kind of incorporated that. And, you know, we went on doing our own thing. And then, you know, months later, this one time I was just saying, all right, bye, everybody. I'll see you later. And out of nowhere, he was like, bye. And it was just this moment, right? And again, we all know that verbal words are not the only form or main form of communication. And really, it's just always striving for that communicative, just intent and relationship and whatever means, whatever multimodality means, right? But when these moments occur, when you are working towards a family goal and you see this entire family light up, it's just, it's moments that really reinforce that parent coaching model where you're empowering the family with tools and strategies to use embedded into their everyday routines instead of just focusing on trying to, you know, just force or make things come when kids just aren't ready or in their own way of expressing. So it was just, it was just so beautiful to be in their home and watch this family navigate their son's development and do it so beautifully and with such dignity, just all on their natural and just by using the environment and guiding. So it's just those moments, you know what I mean? Like they're just, they're absolutely perfect. (laughs) I think that it's almost like we tend to take communication for granted, or at least I think that I did just that ability to understand and to be understood. And I found that working in early intervention, communication is a huge part of what, at least what I do. And 
it's just like I said, you kind of take it for granted. And so for you to be such a pivotal part of that experience with a family, I know a lot of our referrals are typically communication delays and we want them to say hi or very simple things. I want my child to be able to call me mama and say, I love you. That's the one, Danielle, that always gets me whenever we, we write an I love you goal. Oh my gosh. I And it's beautiful. Like that's, that's, a, that's a very beautiful goal, I think, to write. Um, and so I just wanted to kind of, you know, touch base or piggyback off of what you said, because I think that communication, if you're not an early intervention, you might not think we do a lot of communication, but we absolutely do because there's so many areas of development that can impact communication. I, I, I really like Danielle, how you kind of pointed out that it's like, it's not just about the, the verbal communication, but it's also really about paying attention to what that family wants. And if they wanted that verbal communication, they, they wanted to hear that word they, or, you know, the phrase or anything like that, that's really what means so much to our clients and, and to our families. And to hear that, like, I'm sure you heard that in the beginning, you're like, okay, I hear that, you know, that that's a great goal and hopefully we'll get there. But a lot of the times we don't have that magic eight ball to say like the kid's going to be able to do it or not. We're going to try our hardest. We're going to give the families their, the strategies and the supports and everything that we can possibly do. But then to actually be present. And I'm like legit, like putting myself in your shoes, like at that moment when it happened to be there and be present and I'm getting chills. Like it's amazing to be to, to, to be there and experience that with our families and to go through that. And I know that there was a lot of work that had to be done to get to that point. And you kind of just glossed over it in your story. Like, yes, we were working on this and we we're working on that. But like, I mean, that was weeks and probably months of work that the family was doing, that you were doing, that the entire early intervention team and anybody else that was involved in this case, that they were, that they were working on. And to be able to get to that moment I'm speechless. I mean, here we are talking about communication and I am absolutely speechless. I think that's the beauty of when early support services are provided in a way where you are constantly putting the family at the forefront and just working on things that they want, but also really talking about the hard things, realistic expectations and having these small attainable goals and reshifting narratives and what communication even looks like. And I know for me, when, especially when I was working with this family, I think one of the pivotal moments and why it was so important was when we got to a point that said like, you know, what you want is you want for this child to be able to express themselves in however they need to. And then we want to be able to, as their parents, be able to understand and collaborate and listen and just continue to grow and have those bonds. And I know, I know those, I love you goals, Amira, and I'm going to shift it around too, because we can, we're going to sit here and we can talk about how all of these moments and so much that leads up to these, but as, as a mom who desperately wanted her son to just say, I love you. When I let go of so many expectations of hearing, and then I just felt his love for me, which was present and always will be present, right? And I think tuning into that and helping parents see all of the all of the different ways to get to their goals 
and also being able to navigate those really, really hard conversations. They're so hard, right? And I'm I'm curious, Amira, what is one of what's your favorite, one of your fave moments? Cause my gosh, how many we should we could do a whole like episode <laughs> <Seriously>? on <laughs> series on fave moments. Absolutely. And I just have to say for the listeners, we did not share our stories prior, but actually the story I'm going to share is very still in line with the communication and what Danielle has been talking about. So I had been working with this kiddo, oh gosh, since he was a baby, I actually got to see him in person. And for those of you who don't know, I'm still virtual going on, oh gosh, what is it now? Two through my third year, I, I'm like losing track now, but we've been, we have been virtual since March of 2019. And so this is a kiddo I actually got to see in person. That tells you just how long I've been with this family. And so we switched to virtual and, you know, I'm on a team along with a couple of other different providers. We've got a physical therapist and a developmental specialist, and we all work together and we see this kiddo here and there. They're, they're more frequent than I am. And I typically focus on physical development. Um, so he's got a, a pretty complex medical history. Um, epilepsy was having multiple seizures a day. I mean, when we would have a session in person, he would have multiple seizures with me there. And so that's, you know, a, a huge part of his medical background. And so anyways, but I was there to support physical development. And so we worked on, you know, fine motor skills and things like that. So I was not really on the plan to address any type of communication, but this is important for you to kind of know what I was working on and then what I got to see. So, and this is by no means my necessarily favorite story, but it's my favorite recent story because it just happened probably about two weeks ago. And I knew that they had been working with um, a speech therapist to get an AAC device because the kiddo is getting older now, actually about to turn three and graduate from our program and move on. And we wanted, one of the goals of the family was communication. And kiddo is, is, um, does not have any words, doesn't babble or anything like that, but he expresses himself and he communicates the way that he's able to. And it is typically big smiles and he rocks his head and he's just so sweet. And you can tell when he's very engaged, you can tell when he's tired. So he has his own ways of communicating. And that's something too, Danielle, that you were saying is just recognizing that even if we don't, you know, our kids don't have words pointing out to the family, Hey, they're communicating with you right now. Like, what does that actually look like? And so we knew that he could communicate in that way, but he got this device and it was my first time getting to see him. I hadn't seen him in probably about a month and he got in the device and I was so excited. And I watched as we, uh, uh, the mom had read a story and she was using the device throughout the story. And it was just so amazing to watch. And she was telling me now that he is able to use that device to request when he's hungry, when he wants to watch his favorite show, when he wants a new show, when he wants to go outside. And what got me, oh my gosh, the other provider that I was on the call with, because we're in a team-based model, she looked into the camera and the mom was just smiling so big, telling us everything that this little kid was able to do. And she said, he has a voice now. And that just gave me goosebumps. And I literally had to turn my camera off because I was like, oh gosh, there's a knot in my throat. Like <laughs> here it comes. And I'm sure if you're an early intervention, you know exactly what I'm talking about when something happens, something said, and you're like, I'm, I'm going to lose it right here because we have just such a big heart for what we do. And so I turned my camera off and I got myself together. And I think though, for me, what was so special is to know that 
he had been, you know, he was communicating in his own way, but like he was really understanding and we didn't really know how much he was understanding of what we were saying and things like that. And so to now, you know, he jumped right in and he's able to use this device and be able to communicate the things that he wants and needs. And I just thought that was such an incredible, incredible moment. And I just thought about from, from his perspective. And Danielle, I'd love for you to talk about kind of the parent perspective, but for me, I put myself in his shoes and I was like, wow, he is understood. They're understanding him now. I mean, I can't imagine how just excited he must feel when he can now communicate. I want to watch a different show. I don't want any more Cuckoo Melon. Like, I just can't imagine how excited his little body must feel. Um, and so, Danielle, I would love to hear from you because I don't have that parent perspective. But what is it like on the parent end when when you when you are able to really communicate with your child in that way? First off, I think AAC should just be automatically done in early intervention when any communication support is needed. I think it needs to be done regardless because I think AAC is one of the most beautiful things I've ever been able to experience. And it, and it gave my son a voice too, uh, because he wasn't able to do motor imitations of sign language. So what was happening is when he lost his words and was not communicating, he would not imitate either. So when early intervention started coming in twice a week with his teacher services, who was also going to school to be a a speech path. So she was just amazing and showed him pictures first and he would learn signs, but because he had difficulty with like real intricate fine motor, they were kind of more gross signs. So we understood the majority of them. So then we realized once we got to pictures, then he started, I was like, oh, you understand all of this and started like picking up things and like was giving me all food choices and then starting to really understand it. And you, you see it, you see his brain like clicking and him looking at me and just being like, oh my gosh, you, you understand. And it is the most magical moment in the world because I will, I will tell you, it's it's still sometimes hard for me to know, like, do you know, understand everything I'm saying to you? But I know that he understands everything that's happening around him and the complexity of what he understands, I think is very appropriate for his age. And I think when you have those moments of initial communication, it's just, it opens up this, I don't know, this just level of you just start, I can't, I get so excited just thinking about it and re I'm thinking about it in my mind. I think that's why I'm getting so like choked up and so emotional about all of this. I don't think I ever won't be, but you know, I see how hard it is for Luke to talk and all he wants to do is talk. He didn't want his AAC anymore, even though he had access to it. You know, it was just watching him find his autonomy with his voice and watching him choose what communication methods he wanted and supporting him every step of the way. And I think that's been one of the coolest things and one of the most transformational things about me as a therapist, moving away from more of a compliance model back in my years ago when I didn't know any better, shame on me days, right? And I think that is in hindsight and also when you experience these moments, because I know we've all experienced those first language blooming moments and it is, it is just these beautiful moments, but we do need to be mindful that there are parents that will not experience these 
moments of verbal communication, which is why it is so important as early intervention practitioners to really just emphasis on communication and multimodality methods of communication, because that's really fostering that inclusivity within that early intervention and supporting all forms of communication and helping parents work through that from the very beginning, setting them up to know how to advocate for their kids and support their communication. Communication, it's embedded everywhere. It's at every IEP table concern. It's something that's really just really embedded in, in everything that we do. So that's one way we can shift that mindset as early intervention practitioners, as well as share in those magical moments when we see communication happening. Okay. I have my story. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready to share it. <laughs> it was, it was t- it's hard because there's so many, I feel like there's so many different things that have brought value to my life as a practitioner and it's really hard to narrow it down. But the story that comes to mind right now is a client that I started with. I started with this little girl when she was about around six months old. And I worked with that girl until she aged out of early intervention at age three. So I got to know this family very well. And I was seeing this client twice a week. So I was there a lot. Now, I want to start by sharing a little bit of how it started before I get into the 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 real juice of this story. Uh, When I first started with this little girl, I have to tell you that there were more tears. I mean, this was probably the most crying that I've ever dealt with, with any client that I've ever worked with. I would walk in the door and that little girl would just start crying and like, didn't want to see me, didn't want to do anything. And at that point I was brand new to this family and they didn't trust me yet because I hadn't, I hadn't had the time to develop the rapport. And here I am like, all right, I, I know what we need to be doing. And I have to start from the very, very beginning with this with this client because they didn't even want to look at me. Like they would just start crying. And for a few weeks, they would cry the entire session. And it was a lot of just parent coaching. It was a lot of just kind of being in the space and just starting to explore different toys with the, with the kid being in the room. Actually, I think it even started where they weren't even in that room, but they could hear me. I mean, we started at the very, very beginning of all of this. And I was engaging with the siblings and I was playing with the parents. And it was really setting the stage to build that foundation with this little girl. And then slowly but surely, she started to kind of peek her head around the corner and wanted to see what we were doing. And she'd get closer and closer. And rather than cry the entire session, she'd cry for 90% of the session and then, you know, would not be happy, but at least wouldn't be crying. And day after day, week after week, month after month, I slowly built on this foundation and got this little girl comfortable enough to actually start engaging and participating and doing some of the activities that I was doing with the, with the family and with the siblings. Now, flash forward many, many months after this, where the kid was trusting me, the family was trusting me. I mean, I, I really had established that what I felt like was a very, very strong rapport with the family and a strong connection with the family. I actually had some students that were with me at that time and, and they were working and they were doing an activity with a kid. And I want to say this is probably after, 
I would say maybe a year and a half of me working with the kid, maybe even like two years. Like this was a while down the road. And the mom pulls me aside and she shares more behind the scenes of what was going on before I even stepped into the picture as the OT on the case, before they even started early intervention. And she had shared with me that the that her pregnancy with with this little girl was a super high-risk pregnancy. She shared with me that her doctors and medical team, and this, I mean, this is, it's going to get me choked up here, but that they had basically told her that she should terminate this pregnancy, that this kid was, you know, going to have some either rare genetic disorder or wasn't going to quote unquote, live the life that, you know, they, they, that they wanted this kid to have. This is from the medical team, not from the parents. And, you know, all these things that no parent wants to hear, especially when you're pregnant. And I mean, she's sharing all of this and I'm just like, oh, like, oh my goodness. Like, I I had no idea. I've been working with this family for years at this point. I had no idea about any of this. And she goes, you know, I didn't listen. Clearly she didn't listen to the medical team. And she was like, I even like, we had a name picked out for this child before all of this happened, before what the medical team had said. And they ended up changing the name because they, they put their foot down and they're like, no, like this, this child is a blessing. This child is supposed to be here. And they went from the name that they were originally going to give the child and they changed the child's name to hope. And the mom like broke down in tears because here she is explaining this of like how much hope this child has given the family and, and how much hope I have instilled in them by being able to, to work and, and collaborate with this family and the, the beauty that has happened over these months and years. And I just remember standing there and I had my, you know, my students were kind of like watching and paying attention and I am trying to hold it all together, hearing this and then being able to like backtrack on like everything that we've done and, and how far we had made it. And this mom was just like, so she was so overwhelmed by the entire process and knowing the progress that her, that her daughter had made and that where we started, where they had started before I got into the picture, where we are now, and where that child is going to continue to get. And that is just one story that I don't think I'm ever going to be able to forget. And I mean, like I said, this was years ago, and it's still probably one of those number one stories that stands up to me of how much the child has progressed, but also how much that family, even though I wasn't doing all the work myself, how much they thought that I was bringing to that situation as an EI practitioner. And I'm just so thankful that I had that opportunity. And yeah, here I am again, I'm, I'm speechless about what to say, but I really do feel like that, that hope is what we can, what we can instill and what we can really just strive for when we're supporting our families and working with our clients. Again, like I've said so many times already in this episode, I feel like we could we could we could do an entire series. Like we have so many stories that we could share that really stand out to us and highlight different things about being an an occupational therapy practitioner or working in early intervention. And we shared, we each shared one story from our experience, but we really want to hear from you. What has been one of your favorite stories that's happened while you have been working in early intervention? You can reach out to us on our website at therealots.com or on Instagram at the Real OTs of early intervention. 
We're so excited you joined us today. Check out our website, therealots.com, for more information about anything discussed in the episode. And sign up for our email list so you don't miss out on any of our awesome EI resources. And join our amazing community of students and practitioners to get your questions answered and learn from others working in early intervention. Whether you're in the car, on your lunch break, or signing in to your next virtual session, thanks for keeping it real with the real OTs of early intervention.